0: time again, it's the 3ND Podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at 3 Pod. I am your host, Justin Lewis. You can find me on Twitter at J underscore Timberfake underscore. And of course, we are a part of the Grizzly Bear Blues family of podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. You can find us online at grizzlybearblues.com. This week, we have uh, Sam Quinn from CBS joining us uh, to talk about some things related to the Memphis Grizzlies. Sam, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm great, Justin. How are you?
0: I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I'm kind of upset with some of these tweets that you've been putting out that involve Lay the it on me. So we're going to talk about them.
1: Let's do it.
0: All right. Before we get started, I'm going to give you a chance real quick to kind of tell people where they can find you and find your work.
1: Yeah, um, just cbsports.com. Um, that's where all my work goes up. Uh, we have a lot of great NBA coverage across the board. And then follow me at Sam Quinn CBS.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's get started with this uh, ranking the third best players on the Disney teams. All right. So you've got, a, it looks like you almost kind of have them in three tiers. Um, wow. And your top four are Kimba, PJ Tucker, Fred Van Vliet, and Drew Holiday. Um, and then you go a whole tier, and then it takes you the 18th spot to get to Jonas Valanciunas. So kind of talk me through why he's so low on there in your eyes, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something at you.
1: You know, Justin, it's funny. Your podcast is called The 3&D Podcast. I think Jonas is the first guy on that list that doesn't do either of those things. Um, I know that that's kind of an oversimplification, and I'm not going to say like, Yeah, Jonas has some value defensively. Like, he has a little bit of range. Like, it's not as if to say he's totally one-dimensional or anything, but a big motivator behind this list was most of what's going on at Disney is going to be playoff basketball. And we saw this in Toronto year after year after year. You know, Jonas just – he's too slow to play defensive basketball in the playoffs. Like, LeBron had his way with him year after year. And don't get me wrong, I like having him on a team. I think he's a very valuable regular season player. But he's just not the style of player I want on my roster in the playoffs.
0: And that's fair because even amongst this roster that we have, um, we've got a – the backup center is probably a better 3-and-D player and Gorgie uh, Jane. But, you know, Valanciunas has improved his three-point shooting. Um, I wish he would kind of take more shots. He's not at that Mark DeSalle level where he was comfortable taking three to five threes in a game. Um but I, I, I mean I'd have to agree that Valanciunas is um a little slow uh if you come into a pick and roll situation and you're and you want to switch everything, which in, in the NBA you're at the point now where you you kind of do have to switch everything, uh, especially against teams that you know, you have LeBron or even a a to you've got to be able to switch. But my thing here is um I, I guess I need to ask this question to see where you stand on it. How uh How do you value the player efficiency rating um, as a stat?
1: I would say it's something that, like, it's in the toolbox, but it's kind of, it's lower to me than I think it is for most. Like, in general, I'm not a big fan of, like, those all aggregation stats, you know. The the idea of trying to put a player's entire value into one number, it just doesn't really make sense to me. You know, it, it kind of ignores roster context. It ignores a lot of things that, just personally I value a lot more like if you go through this list a lot of the complaints that people had were like having bigger name guys lower well sure like Russell Westbrook is lower on the second best player list that's because Russell Westbrook very very talented is very hard to fit onto a roster so you know something like that where it just it these numbers don't always take context into account and while I value it, I just – I don't treat it as the be-all and end-all.
0: Right. And you're going to make some people at Grizzly Bear Blues very happy saying that because we actually had a long, long debate about Dylan Brooks. And I talked about his um, below average player efficiency rating. And they use the same word that you just used in and context. Context and, and roster context, that all matters. Um, but I just wanted to throw out there that, that Jonas Valanciunas was 21st in the NBA in player efficiency rating um and so like to see that he was 18th as the third best player like and these are the names that I kind of had issue with behind and PJ Tucker was one of them I would take Valanciunas on my team over PJ Tucker all day every day um
1: man I saw PJ Tucker like almost dismantle the greatest roster in NBA history like that 2018 Western Conference Finals series like I know that James Harden and Chris Paul were on the team PJ Tucker was the reason they were playing such good defense and defense was what kept them in that series. Like he is just such a valuable guy to have on your team. As far as, you know, the roster flexibility that he gives you because like having a guy who can shoot that well from the corner and can rebound that well at his size, who can play center, like it unlocks so much for you. And we're seeing that with Houston now they needed to go small in order to maximize Westbrook. And if they didn't have a guy like Tucker, they wouldn't be able to do that.
0: No, I I agree with that aspect of it, but if we're looking at what's going on in Disney and we're looking at the teams that is going to kind of be between towards the end, like if if you're going to make a push and you're going to beat somebody to to have a chance in the NBA Finals, I I don't like my chances of PJ Tucker going up against JaVale McGee or uh, Dwight Howard or you go to the to the Clippers side of things or you look at the Bucks. Like I think I'd rather have somebody like you know, Valanchunas as my guy playing center. I I don't know. I guess I'm not a big fan of what the the Rockets are doing with Bruno Caboclo being the biggest guy they have on their roster. Um,
1: I would like it if they had, like, at least a backup center they could go to in certain looks. Like, don't get me wrong. I think they're a bit too extreme about it. But, like, okay, maybe P.J. Tucker has some trouble with certain centers defensively. But I promise you those centers are going to have just as much trouble with him
0: that that's true um uh, let me let me ask this perspective as far as your ranking with the third best players on these team did you rank them as who you would take as your third best player or did you rank them as um uh, the importance to their team um ranking as a third best player
1: you know that's a good question i don't know that i went i gave it that much thought as far as how i would go about building a roster with these guys but I think the short answer was if yeah I think if if I were building a playoff roster who would I want among these guys like if my goal is to win the championship and knowing what that entails what kind of teams you're likely to face what playoff basketball tends to look like who would I want that was broadly the way that I looked at this list
0: and you want Joe Harris over Jonas Valanciunas (laughs)
1: listen it, when, if Jonas like if he comes into these playoffs and he shows me he can defend in space and he's willing to shoot threes, like we can have another conversation. But year after year after year, I watched LeBron just run him off of the floor. So yeah, that's just I don't like slow centers in the playoffs. There's a very limited recent track track record of those guys succeeding. Like we had a four or five year run where Draymond Green at center was the end game of every finals. So, yeah, like, just the slower center is just not for me in the playoffs.
0: And, honestly, going forward in the NBA as a whole, the slower centers are going to be far and and few in between. Um,
1: Now, fortunately for the Grizzlies, they have this, like, newer age guy waiting in the wings. Like, eventually you figure when the Grizzlies are at their, you know, contending stage, Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark are both going to be, like, their sort of newer age centers that can really move and can shoot and can do more with the ball, like. This is not really a problem the Grizzlies are going to encounter when they're at their end stage, when they're ready to contend for championships in a few years. It just so happens that right now they're a few years away and they have Jonas, who has his value as a regular season player, and their priority should be regular season based right now, frankly. like It would have been irresponsible of them to come into this season assuming, oh, we need to build a playoff roster because we're going to have playoff success. No, they weren't going to have playoff success this year. In a few years, that's a question that you reevaluate.
0: No, I, I agree completely that the the end goal for this team probably is, it, and it should be, that Jaron is your guy at the five and Clark is your guy at the four. Um, clearly, Jaron is, is not ready to be that. He gets pushed around quite easily, doesn't rebound very well. Um, and I think the window kind of lines up, honestly, with – Uh, Valanchunas' contract ending in uh, two years. He had that three-year contract that he signed. And I think that's about the time you can expect, really, Ja and Jaron to be ready to to lead this team into, um, quote-unquote, contending. Um, But I I guess for me, like, if I'm looking at the list, you know, originally I I had a problem with Duncan Robinson being on that list. But then I've really looked at his stats, and that dude just – he's lights out. He's um, maybe
1: the best shooter in the NBA with Stephen Curry out. Like, Curry is obviously the answer if he's healthy. But this year, it was just, it was very clearly Duncan and Davis Bertans. And after that, huge drop off.
0: It was, it was crazy. Like, I just thought it was just like some Jeremy Lin hot streak. But the dude is like consistently yeah. really good. And just
1: even like he's not a good defender, but at his size, yeah, he like has some value there too. You know, I know Joe Harris is the other guy that you mentioned. Like, His shooting numbers aren't Duncan Robinson level, but he's a little bit of a playmaker. He's a better defender than he gets credit for. Like, there are little things that I think translate to the playoffs with him better than Jonas. If you made this a regular season list, like we'd be having a different conversation and he'd be, you know, quite a bit higher on this list. But given the, the style that playoff basketball tends to take, that's where my concerns come.
0: I'll just be real transparent and honest with you. Um, very, very often on 2k I trade Kyle Anderson for Joe Harris. So the fact that I'm hating on Joe Harris being ahead is, you know, kind of hypocritical, but, um, 2k
1: accepts that trade. 2k is a very different idea of value than I do.
0: Yeah. I, look in real life. If I'm the nets, I'm not taking that trade.
1: Yeah. They're not taking that,
0: but I'll take Joe Harris all day long. Cause he can actually shoot the ball past the free throw line. Um, so, I guess for me, where I was is that, and where a lot of Grizzly fans are, is is you know how the small market Grizzlies fans can be. They can get, they can feel very disrespected very quickly. Um, And so I think even Grizzlies fans undervalue Valanchunas because I don't know if we would grab a rebound throughout the season if he wasn't on the team. Um, And he's been very vital to get to where we are. I agree that the the game changes in the playoffs. Um, But if, we're facing the Lakers in the first round. I like Valanchunas being on the roster mainly because as soon as McGee comes off the floor, it's Dwight Howard coming on, uh, which Dwight Howard's gotten a little bit quicker. He's shed some weight and kept it off. Um, I I don't know. I I really do see your point. Um, I, I still don't know if I'd have him as low as 18, but you know, uh, it is about the playoffs. And like you said, if, if he comes out this this playoff, um, this return to play and, and shows you something different, then maybe you you raise him up there. So let's move to um, another tweet that you had. Um, I don't have this one quite pulled up. But you talked about um, the 2019 draft class where the Phoenix Suns and the Sacramento Kings completely botched their two picks, skipping over Luka Doncic. Um, and let me just tell you from our point of view how heartbroken that we were when the trade went down and Dallas jumped us and took Luca. Um, but you well, said that question about yeah. that
1: just in general. So the Grizzlies were at four. Theoretically, couldn't they have just taken Trey and gone to the Hawks and been like, "Sorry, we ruined your trade. Now you have to send Luca to us."
0: So we we've talked about that amongst ourselves. Um, we we could have done like a, a middle finger pick to to the Hawks and and really mess it up. But from what we we've been told is that um, Atlanta would have been fine taking Jaron Jackson Jr. themselves and moving on. Um, I don't know so necessarily know if I believe that because early on in the draft process, I believe that they were very keen on Trey Young changing the culture and. Uh, as much as we love Jaron, Jaron's not the same level of star as Trey. He's not the same level of personality as Trey. Um, so, I don't think there would have been that whole change the culture movement that they were trying to find. But I, I pitched the same thing. Heck, my wife and I were sitting at the FedEx Forum the night of the draft when it went down, and she even looked at me and said, well, why don't we just take the guy that they're trying to get and and screw it, screw the trade up? And I was just like, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. Well, if mean,
1: the worst case scenario is this is before they have John Morant, obviously. If the worst case scenario is you have Trey Young, like that's not a bad place to be.
0: Yeah, it's it's not at all. Um, but then you know what happens with Morrisaul and and Mike Conley, we're looking at a completely different team. And who heck, who knows? Like
1: they what thought if- they were going to contend last year. That's the the real issue. They thought that lottery pick's purpose was. Oh, we're just adding another piece to what should be a playoff team. And like early in the season, there were moments where it, was, it looked okay. Like that's not totally unreasonable, but yeah, if they had known where they were going, I think they probably would have tried to swing for Luca or at least taken Trey.
0: try. I, I completely agree. Um, the goal was the playoffs last year for sure. Uh, and I, I think they still should have swung for Luca with that being the goal. Um, and from what we've been told, Luca was number one on our draft board, and Jaron was number two. Um, so, you know, maybe they just they tossed it around, and they were just okay with you know however the cards fall. Uh, it would have been real interesting to see what happens if Jaron had went uh, or Luca went two and Jaron went three. Um, how things would have played out. But as you pointed out, uh, that's not what happened. And you said that Luca is the clear number one, which I don't think anybody can argue. And then you said that Trey is number two, and I'll give you that. Like, if if I'm drafting right now, based on two years of production, like, Trey Young should be the second pick in that draft. But then you kind of said that there was a massive uh, drop-off from those two to the rest of the draft class. Um, Is that a little bit of hyperbole, or do you really believe that there's a massive gap between Trey and and Jaron in that pick?
1: Well, if it makes you feel better, Jaron is my number three in that class. But yeah, there is a big drop off. And I mean, if just look at it from a ceiling perspective, like if Trey Young is everything that we think he's going to be like, that's maybe not Stephen Curry, but like an MVP caliber offensive player. That's Steve Nash. That's, you know, whoever you're going to say is among star point guard, ball handlers, Damian Lillard, whoever having that guy in your team is just more valuable than the sort of archetype that Jaron fits. Like, The best version of Jaron, I mean, I don't know that there's really a comp. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be Anthony Davis, but, like, bigger Draymond, like, sort of all-around defensive menace that can score and pass a little bit. Like, just those are two very different archetypes, and having the on-ball superstar scorer is just more valuable. Now, are there rosters where having Jaron makes more sense? Sure, and, like, the Grizzlies are one of them. The Grizzlies have John Morant, who's going to be this all-NBA caliber point guard down the line. So, yeah, if you were asking who the Grizzlies would rather have, like having Trey Young and John Morant on the same team just doesn't really make much sense. But having John Morant and Jaron Jackson together, yeah, it makes sense. But if you're asking purely in a vacuum, there's nothing more important in basketball than having that offensive generator, and the Hawks have that with Trey Young. The the Grizzlies don't with Jaron Jackson. Like, it really is that simple. Certain rosters, absolutely. There are circumstances where you'd rather have Jaron on your team, but just purely in a vacuum, give me Trey Young, and I'm not even thinking about it. So how far down would you have had Marvin Bagley? I was very, very low on Marvin Bagley at the time. Like to me, I can't I don't remember my exact board, but he certainly wasn't in the top five. I think I'm, if anything, slightly higher on him now, just because I think he's shown that he's more of a versatile offensive player than I gave him credit for at the time. But, yeah, I really don't like having bigs on my team that don't defend well, and there's really no light at the end of that tunnel that he's going to ever be even, like, a good defender, let alone a really, really good one. And Jaron, like, there's a path to him being defensive player of the year. I think that he has to foul less, obviously. I think he needs to get a little stronger. He needs to rebound more. But I see a path to him being one of the best defenders in basketball. Marvin Bagley, that is never going to happen. There is no circumstance whatsoever in which he is that good on defense. And if I'm drafting a big that high, I need him to be a great defender.
0: Yeah, and I, I was shocked because on my um, mock draft boards that I had going into it, Bagley was maybe six or seven where I had him. Just And it, at that point, it became fit uh, of where he may you know fit in with teams. But I, I had Luka going... Second um, to Sacramento, and that's what should have happened based on the way that it it played out. Because I don't think Phoenix was considering anybody other than uh, DeAndre Ayton, and he's still going to be a really good player. I'm assuming you probably have him fourth on your list.
1: Yeah, I had him fourth after Jaron.
0: Yeah, so it just seems like Sacramento and Phoenix can't get out of their own way. I mean, they had two generational talents sitting in front of their face, and they both just passed on them, um, which is why they're bottom dwellers pretty consistently. But um, let's wrap up with this. I want to hear what you think is going to be the Grizzlies' fate in the bubble.
1: I mean, I can't say anything definitively because there are so many good teams under them, but I've placed a sizable wager on them being the eight seed just from common sense. Anybody who wants to take the eight seed from them has to beat them twice in a row. Now, if you put a gun to my head and said, like, both teams totally healthy who is better, the Grizzlies or the Pelicans? I'd probably give the Pelicans a slight edge, but they have to beat them twice. And as I'm sure that's possible. Like Maybe Zion just scores 35 on 80% shooting twice in a row. But I think statistically, the likeliest explanation there is that if the Grizzlies and Pelicans play twice or if the Blazers and Grizzlies play twice, the Grizzlies are a very good team. They're not going to lose twice in a row in that setting. So my expectation is that they're going to be the 8th seed and probably lose to the Lakers in the first round. But given their expectations coming into the year and given what their goals are, that's awesome. Like, that's a great year for John Morant's rookie year. They're going to get some very meaningful, like, not high-level playoff games, but, like, playoff, they're going to have some playoff games on, under their belt. The play-in games are going to be great for them as well Like because you get the playoff setting, but you're not playing against, like, some – Number one seed juggernaut, like you're getting a team that's closer to your level. So yeah, all things considered, like if they get the eight seed, which is what I expect, they'd have to be thrilled with this season. And hey, they're giving a worse pick to Boston, which like that doesn't really affect them, but it's nice for optics too.
0: Yeah, and I agree completely. Like the way that this season has played out is a complete and total win because for most of us um, that kind of have an idea was going like how it all works, we just wanted to get rid of the pick. Because yeah. this draft class is awful. Um, we didn't want to give it to Boston next year when it's the double class. Um, and we're, we were fine with, with just that. Like, even still being a lottery team, but not having the pick would have been a win for us. Just You know, let's just get this out of the way. But the way that this roster has been built, the young team that's built, you know, come around. Taylor Jenkins has been a, a home run. Um, making it to the bubble – is kind of playoff experience. Like you said, we've talked a lot about that over at GBB ourselves. And then, you know, if you hang on and you go to the first round and you had to, to experience playoff LeBron James, and it's going to be a, a three months fully rested playoff LeBron James, um, that's nothing but learning for the guys to see what it takes to to see that next level that's just going to help them uh, the next year. So I completely agree. I think the Grizzlies could sneak in and, and take a game or two from Los Angeles, but it would take something absolutely insane, I think, for them to upset uh, LeBron in the first round.
1: And you know what the other thing about losing the pick this year is? like, Through no fault of their own, I think there's a reasonable chance that the Grizzlies make the playoffs this year but slip out next year because golden state's going to be back Mm -hmm. and um, Zion's going to be healthy the full year. And like, you know, I think the West next year is going to be so loaded that there's a chance that the Grizzlies are a better team next year than they are this year, but miss the playoffs. And suddenly like you add another lottery pick, or at very least like another 15, 16 pick to this core. And like, you're really, you really got something. Like I'm a huge justice Winslow fan. He's the fourth or fifth most valuable young player on that team If that like they're just going to keep adding talent. They've got a ton of 2021 cap space too. Like in two or three years, we all have every reason to believe this is going to be a contender. And the next year or two is solely going to be about catering to that team. So getting some playoff experience is going to be helpful, hopefully, or maybe not hopefully, but potentially having a high pick or high-ish pick next year is going to be helpful for them as well. Like this is a very bright future. And we've talked a lot about Jonas on this, on this pod. and he's probably not going to be a huge part of it when they get there but everybody else in this roster like yeah they're they're going places
0: well Jonas's big part he's going to play is I believe that he's going to be an expiring contract that's traded to bring in some other talent um I fully believe that that that's what's in the card for him is that
1: if they could get like a dead-eye shooter for that shooting guard spot like I mean Buddy Heald is the name that I see thrown around on Twitter a lot like That's where you just start saying, like, okay, they've got the perfect mix. Like, let's go.
0: I need to find what Twitter you're following because everybody (laughs) that I follow seems to think that we can try to land Bradley Bill, and I just don't see that happening. Okay,
1: good luck with that. That's a bit too (laughs)
0: expensive. Yeah.
1: If they can pull that off, more power to them. But, no, they're not. That's not happening.
0: (laughs) No doubt. Well, Sam, uh, I appreciate you coming on uh, and and your busy schedule and and taking some time to talk about – uh the Grizzlies um anything you want to add before we hop off
1: uh just thanks for having me like you know whenever I do radio spots or podcasts it's always like let's talk Lakers let's talk Knicks the Grizzlies are way more interesting than either of them they just don't get nearly as much publicity so it's fun to come on and talk about a team like that that's super interesting but the national places don't want to talk about as much
0: (laughs) yeah that's that's true we we definitely know the nationals don't want to uh talk about us too much we feel the slight for sure Well, um, I hope you enjoy the return to play. I know you will, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again.
1: Absolutely, anytime.
0: All right, man, appreciate it. Thanks. All right, thank you again to Sam Quinn for our first half of this episode. Um, Always check out his stuff over at CBS Sports. Uh, We're going to transition now over to introduce you guys again to one of our new GBB staff writers uh, we have with us jesse Sinquini. i said that right right
2: yes you did justin
0: awesome all right well jesse start us off with this tell us kind of um where where we can find you on twitter tell us uh kind of your your uh, i guess experience in doing some sports writing
2: yeah so you can find me on twitter at Sinquini jesse um and my last name is spelled c-i-n-q-u-i-n-i and as far as my experience i've been been writing online about the nba since 2018 i started out as as the site expert for a boston celtics fan-sided site and from there i just continued to take on contributor positions with other with other um writing websites just to gain more experience and i feel like that's helped me get to the position where I am today to be able to talk to, to be able to talk to you.
0: Awesome. So if, if I, if I read correctly, you're from Massachusetts.
2: Yes, I am.
0: Which makes sense why you started with uh, Boston on fan side. I actually started on fan side as well with uh, Bill street bears. Um, Parker and Nate Chester were running bill street bears at the time and they brought me on uh, and gave me my start. So what, what has led you to the Memphis Grizzlies hours and hours and miles away from you?
2: Well, I've always sort of admired the Grizzlies from afar, just the way they played, their mentality, the organization, just how they've perpetually, perpetually have been an underdog. They've, they've always had this, this, this unique physicality that they've played with. And it's always, it, it kind of, Gravitated me towards the organization they're they're really unique, and they're one of my favorite they're definitely my favorite team out west
0: well, they're definitely unique we all we can all agree with that um uh, so I'm assuming hometown Boston is your favorite team
2: yeah, I'm a diehard Celtics fan first and foremost i've been watching the team for as long as I can remember from so, the day-
0: fun fact I have seen a game in the garden um and it was against the Toronto Raptors when Rudy Gay was still on the team.
2: Oh wow, that was 2014 or something like that.
0: I, that sounds right. Is it was either 2013 or 2014? Because I was up there both those years. Uh, I don't remember which year we went to a game. So it's kind of weird for me as a Grizzlies fan. You know, I didn't really care for Rudy Gay when he was a Grizzly. I know that's going to get me in trouble with some people. <laughs> but to go to Boston um, and see him there in uh, the game again. It was a, a pretty cool situation. So, it, I think I saw one of the the sites that you wrote for dealt with fantasy.
2: Yeah, Roto Baller. So, they're a site that covers all major sports, and they, they do a great job with updating fans on a daily basis just with – well, of course, sports aren't going on right now, but when when they were, they did a great job of consistently updating team stats and player stats. So, it, it really – you should really check it out.
0: No doubt. Uh, so, did you play in any leagues yourself?
2: Uh, I did not. I did not. <laughs> okay. You have to be twenty-one in Massachusetts to to be involved in sports gambling, and I'm only twenty, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you can play free uh, fantasy on ESPN no matter how old you are.
2: Right. I do do that. I, okay. I yeah.
0: Meant- yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I'm asking: is if if you did any leagues like that.
2: Yes, I do.
0: So, how, how many and which Grizzlies did you have on your team?
2: <laughs> I had uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas on my team. Two good acquisitions, I would say.
0: Yeah, so I had Jaron in the draft, and then I ended up moving him in a trade that got me, I think, Anthony Davis. Um, I was okay with the trade. I kind of wish that I'd kept uh, Jaren because AD kept, you know, getting hurt. Uh, I wanted Valanchunas because he's just a – he's a 2010, like, easy. Absolutely. Um, And John Morant, being a league full of Memphis guys, he went pretty quick and went pretty early. Um, So, I couldn't get my hands on him. But I did have Luka, and I had James Harden and Anthony Davis. And if the league hadn't shut down, I think I had a chance to win it all.
2: You definitely did. That sounds like quite a squad you had.
0: Well, somebody dropped Steph Curry, too, so I had picked him up also, and he was back. So I was, roll- I was in third when it shut down, and Parker Fleming was in second when it shut down. It was going to come down to, betr- to me and him in the end, but we gave the championship to the guy who was in first at the shutdown.
2: That's unfortunate. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: All right, so you are a sports journalism major. Where are you going to school?
2: I go to Curry College. It's a really small liberal arts school in Massachusetts. There's only about 3,000 students and half of them commute.
0: And you think that's really small?
2: Compared to the UMass Amhersts and the Boston Colleges, it's It's pretty small, but it's 3,000 was the size of my high school. So it was yeah. a little...
0: Yeah, so my college, when I graduated in 2014, uh, I think there was five hundred students wow, yeah, that was it, uh, and half of them were commuters, so we we literally only had like three hundred people living on campus at the time it
2: must have, must have been quiet
0: <laughs> uh quiet, but like the high school dramas followed and, and stayed with us, so that was the worst part about it. Everybody knew everybody 's business because you knew everybody there right. All right so what's what's the goal after uh after college with this degree like what what's next for uh for Jesse?
2: Well my my ultimate goal is to one day be able to write about the game of basketball full time. I know that's obviously in today's in today's market that's not an easy task, but it's been my goal for as long as I can remember. I I know that some people do write as a hobby and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's not what I'm about. I, I mean, there's nothing that I'm more passionate about than writing about the game of basketball. And, and there's really nothing I want to do. than there's nothing more.
0: <laughs> no, I got you. So uh, just for, for the, the listeners, uh, one of the things that Joe told us as a staff, when he announced to us that he was bringing Jesse on was his passion um that's like that is the thing that got him an opportunity with us at grizzly bear blues so we're definitely excited for his passion and and to, to help him grow and and help him kind of reach this dream uh, i'm sure joe told you in the interview that there was probably or who did you have you had joe or parker i had joe so joe probably told you that this is a place of opportunity as we've had several guys go on um beyond grizzly bear blues and and you know chase their dreams. so this is definitely the place to do that we're excited uh, to have you a part, but here's the important part. I need to hear your predictions for what's going to happen with the Memphis Grizzlies in Orlando.
2: Well, I I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll be the eighth seed. If if they face off against the Pelicans, I like their chances. Zion's obviously an incredible talent, and Brandon Ingram's an up and comer. But the Grizzlies have the the bench and. I mean, with the core of – with the duo of John Moran and Jaron Jackson, Jr., I think they'll pull it out, if, if the, assuming the two teams play in a play-in series.
0: Yeah, so the biggest, I guess, um, question mark for the Grizzlies in the bubble is that their lack of, of experience is a very young team. But, man, everything I'm seeing out of, you know, Devin Walker posting for the Memphis Grizzlies social media, uh, the, from the practices and then the Zoom calls and all those things that are happening, like this team – looks locked in. They look like they are going to make some noise and nobody's gonna be ready for it.
2: Yeah, I mean when you look at the teams that got invited to Orlando, which which one has more to more on the line than Memphis? I don't think there's many more organizations. I think they're gonna have a huge chip on their shoulder heading into Orlando. And I know that the last three games of their schedule are against Eastern Conference teams that probably Probably have their seeding already determined, so I I think they'll they'll finish strong, and I think they'll they'll have a strong record over the eight game season.
0: What about against the Lakers? They gonna they gonna beat the Lakers a, a one eight upset again?
2: I definitely like them. I definitely think they'll take a game at home. It I, they'll definitely take a game in Memphis. Maybe they can win two in Memphis. <laughs>
0: Well, remember, it's neutral court. It's neutral court. It's we're going to be in Orlando in the bubble.
2: Oh, you're right. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, it's all good.
2: Um, so
0: here's the question: Now you're working with us at and Grizzlies when they play the Celtics. Who are you going to root for?
2: See that that is very tough. <laughs> if if playoff seeding's on the line, that I'm going to go with the Grizzlies but if the Celtics have something to play for, then I'd probably lean towards Boston just because I've been a fan of them for a longer period of time.
0: No doubt. So uh, about what age did you start really falling in love with the game of basketball?
2: Um, I'd say about when I was 10 years old. Um, when I was 10 years old, I watched the 2010 finals and the Celtics faced off against the Lakers. Obviously, it didn't work in the Celtics' favor, but I just took so much away from that series, um, just watching some of the best players in the game go go against each other. And just to see the Celtics have such a great team, it, it was really a great, great way to introduce me to Celtics basketball and, and NBA basketball in general.
0: All right, here's your final question. How do you feel about Tom Brady going to Tampa?
2: <laughs> it hurt. It hurt a little bit. <laughs>
0: Oh, you got to see, I'm an Eli Manning fan. Um, so, I rooted for the New York Giants every time that they faced off in the Super Bowl because Eli went to Ole Miss and uh, I, I did my freshman year at Ole Miss. Um, so, I, I'm i not a big Tom Brady fan. And now that he's in Tampa, um, I'm glad that the Patriots will not be what they've always been.
2: Right. I mean, they got Cam Newton, who's who's definitely a good quarterback. And I think – will do well under Belichick, but he's no Brady, that's for sure.
0: Well, honestly, I I believe what's about to be proved is that Belichick was more valuable to that team than Brady. I think Belichick's still going to put together a similar record with Cam Newton and do similar stuff. And Brady's – I think Brady's legacy could take a hit going away from Belichick, and we'll just have to kind of see how that plays out this year.
2: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. I'm really looking forward to the NFL season.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, Jesse, you want to add anything before, we, before I close this out?
2: Um. Well, I just want to say that I'm, I'm thrilled to be a contributor for Grizzly Bear Blues, and I'm thrilled to be working with you and so many other talented writers, and I can't wait to get started.
0: Yeah, we are definitely glad to have you. I'm glad that you were able to hop on uh, with me tonight. Uh, remember to go follow him on Twitter. It's at, it's at Jesse. Yes. All right, follow him on there. Be looking out for his work on SPN Grizzlies. Um, and as always, you can follow this podcast at 3 Pod, and then you can follow me at J underscore Timberfake. We'll see you guys next week.